Crack Audio. You're listening to a Crap Magazine conversation series, hosted in collaboration with BIM, the British and Irish Institute of Modern Music, and the largest music institute of higher education in Europe. Last year, Crack hit up BIM Institute Bristol for a series of live talks with some of the most influential and inventive voices in contemporary music. Here, Eliza Rose, the East London artist and DJ behind 2022 smash hit B.O.T.A. Baddest of the Mall and DJ and broadcaster Vanessa Maria connects for a conversation about Rose's career thus far, her relationship with social media, performance anxiety and future plans. The discussion also digs into the story and process behind the chart-topping single, a collab with artist Interplanetary Criminal. Stay tuned to the end to hear Eliza answer some questions from the audience. Hello, hello, hello. How is everyone doing? Good. How is everyone doing? Good. Okay, okay. Lovely to see you all here. Thank you for coming down. My name is Vanessa Maria, and I'm going to be hosting for today. And we are joined by the wonderful Eliza Rose. Hey. And today we have Crack Magazine and BIM Bristol basically presenting how to make a number one hit. And we have the number one person to do it right here. Born and raised in Hackney, Eliza Rose is a DJ, producer, and singer, and you might know her to be the baddest of them all. Eliza knits together the best of funk and soul, disco and house, and UKG. She has been writing and singing her own songs since the age of 15, and she has spent years working in a record shop where she was exposed to a wide range of music. Eliza is the first female DJ to top the official charts in 20 years. Can we, can we get a little... Yes! In 20 years. In the last few months alone, she has gone from underground hero to global superstar, and she's only just getting started. Eliza, how are you feeling today? I'm good, thank you, and I love my bio. It's fabulous. You did your research. I love it. Thank you. What made you smile today? About the bio. Oh, the, did it make you smile yeah, today? Yeah, you okay, were about it and when we were having pizza. It was a good bio. Okay, lovely. I loved it. So I want to start at the very beginning. I want, I want you to set the scene. I want you to take us back to 15-year-old Eliza. You're working in a record shop. What are you wearing? What are you listening to? What's on the radio? Take us back to her. So when I started at Flashback, I was really doing that rude girl phase. This was when I was 15, so I had the hair slicked, everything. Thought I was bad. I didn't... To be in an environment with, to be honest, old white men was not something that I I found very appealing. But I basically got left with the dregs of work experience. So it was like working in a nursery, working in a record shop. And so I decided, obviously, I wanted to work. I loved music. I was singing at the time, so the natural step seemed to go into a record shop, but it was very intimidating. Not so much intimidating, more just like this is so far removed from anything that I know. But I did it, and I think I just kind of took the challenge. And yeah, it was, it was, it was, I, was, I was a little girl, I was 15, you know what I mean? But I was coming from a kind of space of listening to a lot of garage, and luckily I then was exposed to 
a lot of other types of music, funk and soul, and music that I just kind of thought was like old music again. And I was exposed to it, and then it really just developed my taste. So I got, I was listening to really good music really from 15, which is quite young. And it really, yeah, it developed my taste a lot. So was that the first time that you were exposed to music when you were working in the shop? Do you come from a musical family? No, not at all, really. Both my parents are kind of into acting. My dad was an actor, is an actor. My mum had like a dr- small little drama school in Chats Palace in like Clapton, don't know if you know that. And um, I think I was like... I'm going to do music because my parents didn't act in. So I always wanted to be creative, but I think that's why I lent, lent more into the music. So I went to like this thing called Saturday School, which was like a CYM, which was a really amazing free... Well, it was free if like you lived in a council house, basically. Other people had to pay, but I didn't have to pay. And it was like we had access to like choir, learnt the clarinet, which I was awful at, but I still gave a go. Yeah, I just guess from from that I was always singing from like around six and then when I got to about 14, 15 I was just like I want to do music more than acting and I kind of went down that path rather than going down what my mum and dad did being rebellious (laughs) so yeah that's kind of so you're working in the shop I'm guessing you're picking up lots of vinyls were you buying them at the time how did you step up and enter into DJing because did DJing come before production Mm -hmm. I I didn't really start buying record I worked in a record shop for 10 years so from 15 to 25 on and off I went uni and then I'd go back and work in the holidays and then after uni I worked there full time for like three years but so I didn't but I didn't really start it was funny because actually they did I was actually doing the CDs which is, just seems ridiculous now because they really use, use the CDs but I was doing the CDs for two hours about 20 and then I said to the manager like excuse me why have you not shown me how to process a record like it's a bit ridiculous and I kind of just thought I guess I'd been started there so young so they kind of always just saw me as that and then when I was like right you don't need to actually show me how to process a record and even then I wasn't buying I didn't really I still was processing records and buying and selling for about a year before I started actually collecting and everyone in the record shop was like don't start collecting because it's going to be expensive and then when I did start buying I was like okay I want to buy more so I was like how can I fund this new addiction let me start DJing and then the money that I get from DJing I can then put it back into buying records and then it just escalated from there but obviously I'm getting the picking out you know what I mean people are selling stuff and I'm like I'm gonna have that so I got to get myself a good collection quite quickly as well and they also had 50% off discounts so it was it was a touch what what, so what were you studying at university was it music related English literature so completely unrelated yeah but for me they're all interconnected like I did a creative writing masters as well and like I especially songwriting I'm very visual so if I hear We'll get into this probably later, but even with Boater, for example, I just had in as soon as I heard it, I had Seaside Town in my head, mm. and that's where those kind of it's almost like I have a music video to the songs that I write, and that's I mean it's going to be very vague, but that's kind of like so for me writing and storytelling is a big part of my process. Even hearing you speak, especially about your experiences at the record shop, I'm feeling like you often always stood out and like <laughs> you, not in, a, in like you had your own thing going. As a 15 year old to be working at a record shop, you were listening to funk and soul. It wasn't cool doing records then. You've got to remember, I'm okay. 31. So yeah. like 15, doing it, vinyl, vinyl culture has only really seen a revival, even in the, the DJ scene within, I would say, 
the last five or six years, people are playing it out again more. And it's still not very popular. But like when I first started, it wasn't, it was quite a weird niche right. thing to do. Of course, there's the old school heads have been doing it for a long time, but most people were my peers. It was only when I really started taking it seriously was when I saw somebody called Willow play. Mm. And it was the first time I'd seen a female with my own two eyes playing records and I thought I can actually do that. But before that, it was like, it wasn't cool to really be doing it. So you were even, sense. it sounds cool now, but it, it was sounds cool now, but it thinking, wasn't really. It was more like, okay. who do you think you are? Like, get a grip. <laughs> that was more the vibe that I felt I was getting when I first started playing records like eight years ago. And I'm guessing peers your age were listening to that. Grime was, grime was popping at the time. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. I was always partial to grime for me and my girls were more garbage girls, really. Okay. Yeah. So then talk me through the experience of like learning how to DJ and then I guess using your knowledge and your insight into music and your like exposure to such a wide range of genres. How did you, that transfer into actually like playing out and then making a living from that? What do you mean, like playing lots of different genres? Yeah, and also like just learning how, like you're working at a record shop, mm-hmm. then you learn how to DJ. Like, how did you do that? Was it was it self? I mean, I'm still learning now. It takes ages, especially for me. I mean, I feel like most people will be able to learn to beat match vinyl quicker than me. It took me time to learn, <laughs> but you just carried on doing it like I'm not a quitter so I just continued continued and continued and this is why I love playing records because you can never be perfect like you're always going to find a new tune you have to know the tune really well so it's definitely an ongoing process of Mm. never ending Mm. that I love I think what I played out when I first started DJing to what I play now is different but that's also due to where you get booked so I wasn't getting booked for no clubs I was playing six hour sets in bars for like 50 pounds and for that I was playing funk and soul and reggae so I was buying that a lot more because that's what I was the gigs I was getting then I moved more into clubs and now even I'm moving further up the lineup I'm finding I'm having to now buy more heavier things that necessarily I probably wouldn't have bought as much two years ago because I wasn't getting booked for those kind of slots so it definitely changes and develops where you're kind of where you're at in your career I want to say but for me this running theme that I tried to have through all of my music is soulfulness and also I love vocals again as I say when I first started DJing vocals were not very cool I have vocals in all my sets but I remember somebody making a comment to me being like oh you should really stop playing so many vocals in your set like it's not like you know what I mean and that kind of affected me for a while and then I'm second guessing what I'm playing so it's definitely like finding your footing and and finding your sound and knowing that your sound can branch off into different sounds <laughs> it's a bit redundant but no that, that's so surprising to hear i remember what looking at one of your instagram posts i think it was a mix mag post that you must have done this year and you said that you kind of lost confidence in djing and that reminded you actually know like that you can and that you're great yeah, like, yeah. before Boater came out, I had a real moment, and I was like, I'm quitting DJing. Like, no I'm way. like, I don't like it. I'm not enjoying myself. I kept having a couple of bad gigs where, like, I just got into a bit of a negative. And I just think it comes with waves. I think if you're creative, you just get in your own head sometimes, and it's hard to shake off that kind of feeling. And it wasn't to do from to do with songwriting. It was more to do with... I just was going to a gig and I wasn't feeling like I was getting the reaction that other DJs were getting and then I would be worrying all week about my gig and then I'd go and then it would happen again and this was going on for about three months and it just kind of felt like a bit of a spiral and I kind of said to myself actually you don't have to do this if that makes sense like 
obviously this is what I want to do, but even just allowing myself to feel like you're not, this is a choice that you've made yeah. and you can stop at any time, then made me realise this is what I do want to do, yeah. if that makes sense. It makes so much sense. Because, like, yeah. yeah. Cause and I just thought I just was really in I was literally like I, yeah I got in a really negative headspace for about and and at the time it's hard to look out come out of that but you've just kind of got to have faith I guess and try and find the enjoyment where you've had it at the beginning. That reminded me I remember speaking to my therapist and I said mm. I wanted to quit music and DJing and she was like all right cool so what are we doing after and I was like well but I've worked so hard yeah and she's like, there you so, go so you want to yeah. stay. <laughs> Yeah. And it kind of, that, it makes a lot I of sense. I think just being a creative, you have to prepare yourself that it's not smooth sailing. Like, it's, you're going to have times where you get stuck in a rut and often that can be a source of inspiration later down the line. It's great to hear you say that as well with someone who had, had such huge success that you were thinking about mm. quitting. I think it makes it very relatable and, like, the struggles that probably some people in the room might be facing, especially with confidence and, like, self-belief. I wanted to touch on the transition from DJing into production. Mm-hmm. When did that happen? How old were you? What were you doing? Was it a difficulty? You said you had struggled like learning how to DJ. Was production similar? I mean, I'm not no production wizard, so I certainly don't think that very basic. Yeah. But, you know, again, it's one of them things, it's just like you've got to give it a go. I think trying to carve out time, which is, I've been thinking to myself, I need to get back myself into putting them hours in to, to, to getting back onto my production. But yeah, I just it's like a labour of love. It's one of those things you just got to kind of put the hours in it. I don't feel nowhere near like as accomplished as I would like to be, but I will one day. That's what I truly believe. If I even if even if I'm, it's going to be five years, ten years, things take time, and I think it's just accepting that nothing comes now. And I'm quite happy to like work hard at something and know that if I put the hours in, eventually it will happen. Boto. <laughs> let's talk about it I'm guessing it quite literally like changed your life yeah and we when, we when I think about the song I think about TikTok because that's when I was actually first introduced to it and I remember seeing all the viral videos and I was like baddest of them all yeah. it's, it was just so catchy can you talk to us about first of all the name I know it comes from a poster coffee yeah, yeah. yes yeah and then the inspiration behind the song the inspiration, as I kind of touched on earlier, came from, I heard the song and it just instantly reminded me of kind of tacky, trashy seaside, in a good way. Just to kind of, like, I, I grew up, spent a lot of summers in like Clacton on Sea and old like shit seaside towns, basically. And it really just gave me that nostalgia instantly. And I guess I wanted to tap into that sense of nostalgia that I heard when I listened to the song. And so that's why the lyrics are not like, do you want to dance, baby? They're not like the most progressive lyrics you've ever heard. But it taps into a feeling which in a way is just as important as lyrics tapping into a kind of feeling. And that's where, yeah, I just had these images in my head and I tried to try to put them into words but then it was too cutesy so I wanted something to edge it up a bit <laughs> and um, um, actually it's funny because my microphone broke so I wrote half the song at mine really quickly at, at home at home yeah. so then I had to so then I went to my boyfriend's flat and um, he lives there with like a musician so I used his housemate's mic and um in my boyfriend's room, he's got the picture of coffee and it says she's the baddest one-hit chick squad of all of the town, the godmother of them all, something along the lines of that. 
And I also just, when I write, I will literally look around the room for a source of inspiration. It might be a colour, even if I see a shadow, I don't know, something to just click my brain into thinking of some words and some images. And that poster was on the wall, and that's where She's the Baddest of the wall, all, them all came from. So I knew I wanted something a bit more edgy, and that poster just seemed to work. But it was, it was like a eureka moment. It was a, it was a weird, it just worked. I don't know why, but it's funny, because if I wasn't in that room, I wouldn't have written that lyric. And if my mic hadn't broken, I wouldn't have... It wouldn't have been the, the hook because I wouldn't have got that source of inspiration. So it's quite a funny, it's quite scary to think of in a way, but it's just like, you roll with it. <laughs> so Interplanetary Criminal yeah. sent you the track. Well, no, mm. I actually reached out to him on Instagram. I wanted to work with him for a long time. And yeah, I just hit him up and then he took ages to send me something but he did send it in the end because I just think he's a wicked producer. He's really talented. He knows what he's doing. He's just sick and I just really wanted to work with him so I hit him up and then yeah then he sent it to me after a while did you know that the song would be <clears throat> used for like female empowerment when you wrote it kind of I guess I mean I'm, I don't know it's hard to say now that with mm. with having the perspective that I have on it mm. but like definitely having those two different sides it felt like a very female empowering song mm. having that cutesiness but also the kind of bad girl element of she's a badass of the moon they definitely felt like there was something there but i didn't think it would resonate as much as it did when i was reading about the song and like your reactions to it especially before it went number one you kept saying that it was like surreal and mm. you you didn't <laughs> still is yeah you didn't know like like how it happened what is what's happening like how does it feel now knowing that it is number one and we went number one and it's a hit single and surreal yeah it still feels surreal it doesn't it's just it's hard to fathom I don't think I can really fathom it until especially because the charts and stuff like that was not, nothing that I really aimed towards it's not really our scene it's not the yeah. charts you know so it's hard to grip and everything happens so quickly as soon as I'm kind of like thinking oh it's then it's like right we're doing this now and it's quite hard to like so I'm looking forward to just going away in January and thinking what actually happened this year because I'm still kind of in a blur does it feel like it happened to someone else and you're watching yeah, it kind play of, out yeah for sure definitely and when it comes to TikTok was there strategy behind the song or was it everything very organic and it sort of just like took off that it way? was definitely very organic like it was in the charts before it blew up on TikTok so like it wasn't like that I mean, that obviously definitely pushed it and, and, it, and brought it around worldwide and it was an amazing tool for it to grow as big as it did. But it definitely was doing well before that. And yeah, so yeah, yeah, it was doing well before that. So yeah, it was in, yeah, in the charts before. What else was I saying? TikTok. Yeah, I mean, TikTok was an amazing platform for it to, to grow and to go global. But I don't really know about TikTok before that. It's only since that engagement that I've now been like, okay, cool, this is a really cool tool to utilise. But it wasn't, it wasn't something I was really using or aware of, so I couldn't have planned to... Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Make it part, because I never had any notion, really, of TikTok. I didn't use it at all. Mm. I try to now, because it is important, but, yeah. And what is your relationship, then, like, with social media and promoting your music? Has that always been something that's come easily? Did you have to learn to do it? I think it's definitely, you kind of have to learn, but it's just a good tool. I feel like with social media, it can be, I mean, there was one point that I had to follow a load of people like a couple of years ago because I was comparing myself all the time mm. and thinking, oh, they're doing so well and I'm not doing anything and I've been doing this a lot longer. And it wasn't like I was 
unhappy for them. It was like I was annoyed with myself for being jealous. So there's definitely navigating that and trying not to watch what other people are doing. But ultimately, it's like a CV, right? Like mm. for me, Instagram is my main platform, but TikTok as well is important. It's like a chance for you to show what you're about, put yourself out in the world. I try to think of it as a bit like a CV, really. When people go back, what are they going to look at? They're going to see your journey. Do you know what I mean? And a place, I guess, like to present your most authentic self and like who you are. And I- yeah, but the thing is, you can't really present your most authentic self in there because yeah. you ain't. When I'm crying in my room because I'm upset, because you know, what I mean, <laughs> yeah. you know, you ain't yeah. seeing that. So it's hard, and I think you need to remember that that's it's not real as well. Like so true. Yeah, it's interesting because I said off mic that when I look at your Instagram page, it brings me so much joy <laughs> because of the bright colors and the curation of it. And I feel like it's very, it's very you. Like you can just tell like the, the reds, the greens, the tones. Like, is that something that you like are conscious of, like that you're intentional with? Like, I just like bright yeah. colors. I'm very childish. I'm really <laughs> childish. So like, I just like primary colors, all of them things. I'm just basically like a grown child all the things even there's an element of like even the music I feel like is a bit nursery rhyme-ish like Boto is a bit like an adult nursery rhyme I think and I definitely think that there's like just I don't know I just have always liked it It makes me happy it's kind of expressing individuality and just authenticity is very important to me I feel like some people are not lucky enough to be authentic and to be able to be themselves and so I have been so I just lean into that space and when it comes to like personal branding as an artist, I think that's something that everyone, I guess, at one point considers. Is that something that you had to be more conscious of now that you have had the number one hit and now that you're more in the public eye and people are watching? Or is it something that you're, you, you just, you're just doing you? I mean, obviously I want to do me, but you, still, you do have to be a bit more careful now. Yeah. I can't be doing me 5am every night in the party, <laughs> do you know what I mean? So I have to kind of try and tone it down a bit, but I'm still always going to be me. I literally cannot help it. Like, I'll try and be a bit more, you know, normal, <laughs> and I'm just, I'm just going to be my authentic self. But you do, it's now like, okay, I'm stepping into a space of public eye. You've got to be more aware of what you're presenting and being careful about people that young women might be watching what I do, you know what I mean? What do I want to portray to them? So you do have to be a bit more aware. Is there something that you would have done differently with knowing what you know now when it comes to Bota and the song, maybe in like even just the production, the lyrics, is, is there anything that you would, would change? No, yeah. not really. Like, I think if you look back and think that, it ruins the, the enjoyment of the now. Like maybe, no, I wouldn't, I wouldn't really change anything to be honest. It was a, I really enjoyed writing it. I enjoyed the process of growing. It was a really like rags to riches, I want to say, kind of story of no one expecting it to go like that. I couldn't have really written a better story for the track of what happened with it. So nothing that I would change now, I don't think. But I think if you look back and think of things you're going to change and you're just kind of looking, living a bit in regret, what could you done? Think about what you might do moving forward is probably a better way to think about it. What would you do moving forward? Hmm, I messed myself up there. Yeah, you did. (laughs) What would I do different? I mean, now I want to try and carve out some more space to write. I think making sure you do have more space to be creative is something that I'm finding quite difficult to to do with now. And before I was writing quite a lot. So I think, I guess moving forward in general, that's something next year. I would be kind of, I'm trying to do differently because this was such a whirlwind. I then didn't have as much time to create, which is really important to me. 
Something that I've also noticed in your work and your music from the music videos, Jeannie Crystal mm-hmm. directed your music video mm-hmm. from the people that you work with in terms of fashion. They're all your friends and yeah. they're all people that you've known for a long time. What does community mean to you, especially as an artist in creation and someone that is very tapped into the scene and is supportive of everyone in that space? I mean, it's just, it's so important, isn't it? And like, I mean, I've always had a good community. I was also part of Rhythm Sister. They're now called Common Ground. I just think having peers around you, bigging you up and uplifting you, it's inspiring and it's inspiring to watch your friends. For me, seeing my friends do well, it inspires me. So I want to surround myself with like-minded people who are doing cool shit. And yeah, that's my, and it's also my friends. It's also like, okay, I'm making something cool, but I'm getting to hang out with my girl. Like, this is lit. So it's kind of perfect to like be able to, if you can combine them two worlds, it's very magical. And it's important to uplift each other as well. And Jeannie is my really good friend who I've known for years. We used to do a DJ duo called Honey Trap. I kind of, trusted her to direct the first video because I knew that she would smash it but she's also thankful for me giving that opportunity to her but then I'm thankful because she made the sick video so it's like working to get teamwork <laughs> makes a <the> dream work <laughs> it's really cheesy but do you know what I mean it's like a community for me is so is essential it's really really essential and you mentioned Rhythm Sister, for mm-hmm. people who don't know, what, and ground, ground work? Common Ground. Common, common Ground. <clears throat> yeah. They are a female DJ collective that I joined, I don't know, seven years or something like that ago, and running free DJ workshops for women, and it just built a community, and a lot of DJs have come from that class and gone on to do other things. And it was just fun, really, and nice, and a, a community space. But it also, what was really good is a lot of women got to meet other women and would go off and then do their own thing. And I think it formed those pockets of community within a community. Mm. But yeah, that was really good. We're still kind of doing bits and bobs here and there. We did Ableton over lockdown, so a while ago now, Ableton Workshop. And I think we'll probably do some more things in the future. And you do you use Ableton? Ableton, yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. And how have you always used Ableton? Or have you... I used to use Garage Band. <laughs> um, that was no more for singing, <laughs> just for like singing, really, and recording in vocals. And then now Ableton, yeah. And one thing that I think is really unique about you is that you DJ, but you, as you said, you sing as well. Why combine the two? Why not just be a singer? Why is it? Why not? Why not? Why not? Like might as well. For me, this is one thing I always say is like. <sighs> Basically, different streams lead to the same river. So all these little pockets of different things you do, that's why I started singing again, because I fell out of love with singing as well. That's another story, but I kind of only got back into it over lockdown. But it was these little, like, I knew that they would all feed and help each other and get me to this final destination. All these little streams would finally take me to the place that I wanted to be. And doing as many facets of that as I could was never going to be detrimental it was always going to be a positive and even if one of them doesn't work out doesn't matter that much because it's still helping you along and it just might inspire something else so I just feel like finding different ways to get in where you want to go is very important and it I guess sometimes it can feel like 
it's hard to have that vision as well. Mm-hmm. Did you always have the? Was did you ever lose sight for some, for people maybe in the room or who have who are doing different things? But they're like, where's it going? Like I can't see. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And I think that's when I had my little moment a couple of months ago, and I was a bit like, I don't know if I want to do this. That's kind of where I was like, wasn't really earning that much money, and I was like, I'm getting on a bit now. Like I haven't really reaping any of the fruits of my labour, and yeah, and that was difficult. But I just kind of yeah persevered and and found the different avenues. And if you didn't persevere, you, we wouldn't have seen you on the yeah. Mobos. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Can so. we talk about the, the performance? It was amazing. And when I saw that, I honestly, I almost cried. And I know oh, that Helena so and Jaguar were all there, Nick's. Yeah, it was amazing. I didn't even, to be honest, again, I didn't want to do it. I saw it. You didn't no, want to I do it? I didn't want to do it. I don't no really like... Okay, I, I enjoyed that performance, but I don't like singing live. And one another reason that I went to start singing over dance music is because it's about the track more than me as an artist. I like... That's why I DJ as well, because I prefer to, it to be about the dance floor than all eyes on me. So when I got a thing in my inbox, it said Mobo's performance. I rang my manager, I said, don't ask me to perform the Mobo's because it ain't going to happen. And he was like, oh, come on. And then he came with these like... And he was like... What if we do it with Sonique and you don't sing but you just like DJ? And I was like, okay, fine. Then I rung Jeannie. Big up Kelly. <laughs> yeah, literally. <laughs> then I rung Jeannie and Jeannie was like, you're fucking doing it. And I was like, oh, okay, fine. And then it just escalated and then I just kind of got into it more. But it was the element of singing live that I was like, I haven't sung live properly in years and now you want me to do up the mobos I was like do I mean not jump before you can whatever the saying is run, walk before you can run or whatever so I was just a bit scared but I just said oh do you know what just, I have to do it just overcome and just try and 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 again the whole performance was so dramatic which I loved and Jeannie was a major part of she like did all the dances and stuff like that again it felt more like a collaborative effort and it wasn't just about me, it was like celebrating everybody. And again, that's why I felt more comfortable to eventually do it and step into that. And it was it felt so surreal that it almost didn't feel real, which weirdly made me less nervous in a way, because I was like, this isn't really happening. And I kind of just went along with that. But yeah, I was scared. I, re- I didn't want to do it. I was really not, I didn't want to do it, basically. I can't believe that. <laughs> I didn't want to do it at all. I can't, it's, it makes sense, but I'm like, I'm shocked. I was shitting yeah. myself. Yeah, oh, I was really? really you could not tell. You could not I tell at all. I was shook as hell. I had a little tequila shot before I went on and just hope for the best. <laughs> <laughs> so I guess you, you're a veteran at performing festivals abroad mm-hmm. and <clears throat> that is different. You're DJing, there's a crowd. Yeah. How have you navigated like performance anxiety is this the first time that you with only in the last seven, eight months that it's gone down. Okay. I used to get the worst performance anxiety nerves before. I don't know if it's what it was. It's only recently I've kind of started to get better with it. It's taken me years to get over and it still rears its ugly head on occasion. When I did a gig in Bristol, I suddenly just got really nervous. I've no I think I was on the stage with like other people that I really respected. So like Sally C was playing with me and um, my friend Elka, who are really wicked DJs. And then I was also like I knew Moxie and a couple of other people were down the road and I suddenly just got really nervous because you want to impress your peers, you know. So that really happened and then I was kind of lasted the whole performance and then I kind of got into it at the end but it still comes back I just 
you just have to again accept that that happens sometimes and find some ways to cope with it and not not do the opportunity just don't operate out of a place of fear like yeah, just do it just do it and then yeah. it will help next time and you'll think okay I did get through for that and also just for DJing especially okay if you do one bad mix I mean I've clanged millions of times I'm still here so just <laughs> recognising that yeah. things go wrong and actually people don't care that much yeah. like especially in a live setting obviously like something streams is a bit different you want to practice that and get that kind of perfect but even that like it's just not the end of the world to mess up is kind of my new mantra mm. and that helps me with my anxiety what have been some of your favorite performances of this year i mean even though i shook the mobos was definitely a real moment playing at the new beams i really enjoyed that that was cool really cool venue and like loads of my friends came out so that was nice it's hard to like gather all my friends because at once because they're like we've seen you dj a million times like we're not coming but loads of them came out for that because it was kind of like my birthday so that was really special i really enjoyed that yeah what what was the venue like was it had did it have like the beams coming across i've seen it on it's just like a big glass window so it's like it's quite strange but it's cool because it it goes from day into night so it kind of feels like two different clubs so when it gets dark you feel like your space really changes but it's the same place so it's cool Mm. You've spoken about your early influences in music, especially like funk and soul records that you mm-hmm. were finding. What are some of the artists, what is some of the music that is inspiring you today, like right now? Um, I mean, I still listen and collect a lot of funk and soul. I'm quite rubbish at listening to new music because I just have my records. So I usually just listen to those. I mean, I'm really getting into Speed Garage again. Oh, okay. Loving my Speed Garage. Big Ange is like an artist I really adore. So I'm listening to a lot, a lot of that. But again, it's, it's kind of a reflection of what I'm playing out as well. Sometimes you kind of end up listening and going through through that. But yeah, I'm always like, I really love this label I've been listening to a lot called uh, Penrose. They do beautiful, like, they're modern classics kind of in a way that kind of 60s style but new artists putting it out i really really love that label at the moment and where do you find your music i used to go record shopping way more but i'm just don't have the time as much and so discogs i spend a lot it's a bit annoying because when you think of the amount you spend on shipping it's a waste of money but um yeah just whatever city if i'm in a city i will try to go to a record shop recently i went to killer cuts in amsterdam that was wicked yeah so when i'm traveling i'll just try and i sometimes i put a post can people recommend me good record shop or like market or something and i'll just go through the list and see which one tickles my fancy I love that. You have like a, like a community everywhere, I guess. There's yeah, like that's yeah. the thing. You have communities everywhere. It really is. That's amazing. Before I open up the floor for questions, I just wanted to ask you, what is something that is holding you back as an artist that you think wasn't there, you would, you would thrive? I think self-belief is the voice in your head that tells you you can't do things when you actually can. And I get it all the time still. I think that's kind of an element in trying to shake that off and... I know that that's, it's made up. It's you telling yourself that it's not actually the true thing. What would you tell your 16-year-old self knowing that now? You did it, girl. <laughs> Jeez! <laughs> I love that. Right. Is there a question for Eliza? Yes. Do you ever struggle with motivation? And if so, how do you deal with it? Um, it's just, again, it's one of them things that comes in waves. I think just have to try and be self-disciplined and like carve out if you're bad at self-motivating i'm 
all right most of the time. I can be bad. My problem is go out and get drunk on a Thursday and then miss and then don't do the session on the Friday that I was meant to do. So that's, but in general, I'm quite good. But what I would say is if I'm finding it a struggle I'm, or I'm busy, in the Monday or the Sunday, you mark out two hours of this day, two hours of that day, and you just try and be really strict. And even if you don't do anything in them two hours, you actually are doing something. Like, I've gone and written some shit tunes and they've been rubbish, but then one lyric then I might have used for another track later down the line. So it's never a waste. So I think just knowing that even if you you force yourself to do it and you just sit there, even if you don't feel like nothing's coming out, you're not motivated to doing it. Inspiration sparks when you're there, right? You can't, it just can't, it's not going to happen when you're just on the train on your phone. So you just have to make that time, sit in the computer, sit in front of your guitar, whatever you do, and even if you feel like you're not making anything you are, because you're just putting that time in. I hope that was helpful. <laughs> Other than yourself, uh, mm-hmm. as an artist, but who do you think is the baddest of them all right now in the industry, or someone you really look up to that you love? Who's right? I'm really loving Honey Dijon at the moment. I just think what she's done is really iconic. Uh, to be honest, my peers, like my friends, like Amalia, OK Williams, you, it's so, there's so many amazing young women doing their thing at the moment. And for me, that's inspiration. And people like Moxie and Shanti who've been doing it for a minute, that's an inspiration for me. And I feel like those are the baddest of them all because they uplift everybody. Very, it's a nice, especially in the, the female side of things, it's a, it's a real community spirit. And I think those are the boaters, all of, all of the gal them doing their thing. <laughs> um, hello. Um, when do you, where do you think you uh, make your best music? Like, with collaborations or on your own? I kind of, if I had to pick, I would prefer to write by myself because... I don't necessarily always like the pressure of being in the studio and feeling like I have to do something there and then. But I do like to mix it up. And I also think you can catch a nice vibe with somebody in the studio. Um, but if I, I'd probably say 60% I prefer to write in my room because I can just write something, go and have a cup of tea, come back with fresh ears. Whereas with the studio, I feel like it's quite a constant process. But I think doing a bit of both is is always important because yeah it's just it's just better to do kind of both ways really but I do a little bit on the edge like writing it by myself yeah so I was wondering how much sort of planning goes into your like DJ sets you say like obviously different slots require different material but like do you plan out it's definitely very different for individuals some people do stuff on the fly I'm quite a planner I like to have a vague idea of where my set's going to go. Or, if that's not the case, because I'm playing records, if I'm, say, if I'm playing, I don't know, three or four gigs and I haven't been home, I only really have my record bag. So I have, like, 70 records. So I, have, I know my records extremely well. So in a way, it's constant planning because you have to know your records quite well. But <laughs> I'm trying to get into CDJs more because I'm travelling so much and it's long to... I don't want to mash up my back, carry records around all the, all the time. With that, I plan more because I might not necessarily know the tracks as well. So I'll try and do a playlist and make sure we go through record box and all of that malarkey. But I think when you're first starting out, personally, I would say plan. 
and then as you get more and more confident, you're able to do more stuff on the fly. But I'm not an on-the-fly person. I like to be prepared. So Because of my nerves, when I was getting really nervous, knowing that I had a notion of a vague idea was what I was going to do made me feel more secure and confident. So that's why I plan, yeah. Hello. So following us sort of TikTok <laughs> success, obviously had a big boom and all that. Do you have any like, game plan or fears surrounding maintaining relevancy? Not really, to be honest with you. I mean, I guess there's an element of wanting to ride the wave that is going at the moment. So I'm going to try and release another single not too far away. But I guess, like, it's hard to plan something that you didn't plan for. So I can't really be like, oh, I'm going to continue with this plan because there was no plan in the first place. So I kind of just make it up as I go along, to be honest with you. I think like the visuals and like I want to have a really cool video for the next one again and have something quite iconic for the video. Having doing a good photo shoot surrounding it, all those other bits, I guess, will help me stay relevant. But I didn't plan like to be relevant, so it's kind of hard for me to make a plan to continue it. Basically, yeah, that wasn't very helpful. But <laughs> you spoke a bit earlier about how you felt like you need to play a bit of heavier stuff as your career's progressed. And I wondered if you thought that was more of an external pressure or if it's just like a natural progression? For me, it was a natural progression because I like sounds across the board. So I'm going to find... And when I say heavier, my idea is heavier is probably a lot lighter than everyone else's. But I guess it's like, you know, it's a job. So I can't be going to a club at 4am and doing nice lighthouse. It's not going to run. Everyone's going to be like, I'm falling asleep. I need something to keep me going so it's just like keeping in with your taste what you want to play truly staying true to your sound but also it's a job you have to read the crowd you have to keep the crowd going if you empty the room because you're playing too light then you're not doing a very good job as a dj do you know what i mean i mean don't get me wrong i've emptied plenty of rooms so that's not the end of the world but do you know what i mean you do have to just kind of learn to to work the crowd so external pressure, but in a good way. It's like stepping up to a challenge and, and keeping a room. Uh, yeah, you said uh, that at the moment you're feeling a lot of like Speedy G, more stuff like that. And I guess when I saw that the track Bota was with Interplanetary, the, the track itself isn't really like more his style. The Speedy G stuff that you said mm -hmm. is a lot more like his taste. So are you going to be working on anything with him more towards that, like Jama or...? Uh, I just work on anything, to be honest with you. I like, this is the song that blew up, but I like, on my label, I have like soul tracks. So I just will work with like a more disco song the other day. I'll definitely be doing some speedy garage, but it's not because I'm trying to make that sound. It's just because I rate that, I rate him as a producer and I'll, that's what he's making. So it's never like thought about, oh, I'm going to make this. I'm just going to work with producers who I like, regardless of, of what they make, really. I'll touch on the subject of uh, soul and funk and obviously mm -hmm. you know you've done a lot of that in the past have you got any more desire to do some more chilled strip back sets and more stuff like that yeah man a, definitely 100% I probably would put something out because my label is dub play only so it's like really limited runs of like 50 to 100 records but um, 
I definitely want to do something like that again. I, I enjoy it, and it's like where kind of my heart lies. Before I was trying to be a... Well, before I was kind of DJing more electronic and got more down that route, I wanted to be like a soul and jazz singer. So that's really... I will always do stuff. I mean, I want to start a Motown band in like 10 years' time, but that's, you know, that's for another conversation. <laughs> Yeah, so, like, is there any people that you're particularly looking to collaborate with or people you would have wanted to collaborate with? I mean, I've been reaching out to... Yeah, I've been reaching out to a lot of people. Who have I mean, There's a woman called Cynthia who I really love. I did a track with her and that's going to come out of as well on her label. So... I've honey again I keep saying honey all the time like honey listen to me I want to do a song with you but um, that's definitely someone that I'd like to I'd like to try and have a go at maybe writing for some artists as well or doing something like that that's definitely something I'd, I've kind of been just kind of percolating in my mind for a little while yeah I mean Mura Massa is someone that I did a track with recently and like working with someone like him is really cool are we allowed to know more about the Muramasa track? No, sorry, oh, I should have said too I, much. I, I was gals. I said too much. <laughs> um, I know there was another question. Yeah. So I was wondering, because it sounds like you were more on like the underground kind of scene before, and then stepping into this success of this track, and I'm guessing being invited into the more like commercial side of things, has it felt like a progressive scene? Or like that part of the industry, does it feel like as a woman or like depending on like background and age and like this mm. and that, does it feel progressive or does it feel like you're being pressured? Do you know what I mean? I, just, I don't really feel like I've been pressured. I, like, I would never do anything or make anything or put anything out that I don't want. And I think that was quite clear. I also have a really good management team around me. So I think as much as I'm entering into this more commercial space, I'm still a bit in a bubble because I do come from the underground and on the, on the weekends I'm going to play underground clubs. I'm not going to play like big arenas mm. doing up singing, do you know what I mean? And dance routine. So yeah, I still feel like I'm in a little bit of a bubble with it because I try to keep myself very rooted in the underground. I want to be like a crossover artist that's touching into, tapping into a bit of a commercial space, but ultimately I want to play the Nasty Dirty Club at 6am. I don't want to be, do you know what I mean, like more in the public eye doing whatever. So yeah, I think it's, I've been in a bubble because I'm trying to keep myself where my roots are a little bit. But it is strange navigating that space, coming from a different... It is odd. It's very odd. But I've got a good team around me, so that really helps. I had one more question that I wanted to ask. Yeah, go ahead, girl. Actually, can I chip in one? Oh, okay. I'm, I'm one of the lecturers here. <laughs> uh, this TikTok thing, this week we've been hearing about major artists who are being approached directly by TikTok and asking to sign directly to TikTok. Mm. So we'll buy you out of your deal mm -mm. and we will sign you to TikTok. Wow, Is there, okay. what, do, what, do you, what do you think about where your rights go and do, do you think that sounds like an interesting idea? Oh, okay. Take a tricky one. Um, <laughs> I mean, if that's the way that artists want to do it and try and... And they think that's fit into their music. For some people, that probably would actually be a really good idea. Like, some people are actually making music for TikTok. Yeah. 
that's like credible to them but that's not what I want to do I want to be an artist um so I don't want it to be just in the world of TikTok like I want people to be playing boat to their kids and being like mum and dad used to rave to this one you know so like I'm wanting to be that I want it to be a little bit more kind of cemented in I guess the long term rather than in it being a moment um but anybody who wants to do that, I can completely understand why people that would, might be appealing to people because you can really make a name for yourself extremely quickly. So, like, do your thing, basically, if you want to do that. My question was actually related to like label labels mm-hmm. and like music business and like how you would navigate that as a artist, especially advice for anyone who might end up in those spaces or rooms where they've never been before. Like, what are those conversations like? How do you navigate it in the best way possible when people are coming with you with deals or trying to sign a single? Again, I have a really amazing team around me. So, I mean, I feel more sorry for them because they're the ones who have to deal oh, with it. I just okay. said, come tell me the best ones at the end and then we'll go from there. <laughs> but yeah. um, I think if you do get in that space, the only thing I would suggest is to ask advice I think people are way more willing to give you advice than you would think and I think don't just jump into anything without talking to people like I don't know you can talk to one of your lecturers or just chat to some people that that know because at the end of the day I personally know I don't really have a good I now I know about my deal but like I wouldn't have understood any of the jargon that they would have been saying and they could have easily bamboozled me if I didn't have my team around me so I think just make sure you have somebody that knows what's being said and can relay that to you in an understandable way final question i promise how do you build a good team (laughs) shop about do your research ask around i think in the music industry it's quite small you're always going to know someone that knows someone that knows someone and so i'm making sure you have like a good i'm like quite friends with my managers like i would go and have a drink with them Mm. so i think you have to be with someone who understands you and you get along with so that if you want to take a risk or they want to take a risk or they can ask you to do a a mobile performance even though you said no because you're their friend you can be more convinced whereas if it if it felt like a detachment I would have been like oh no you don't understand me I don't do you know what I mean so I think having a good personable relationship with the people that you work with because you're a creator and yeah you've got to have a good relationship with them they've got to really get you and and, and trust them I mean it's easier said than done but yeah just shop around and ask around I would say Thank you so much for Thank today. You. It's been so insightful. Yeah, can give a round of applause. Thanks, guys. Sorry if I was going on and on and on. <laughs> Where can people keep up to date with what you're doing? Follow, find your music, buy your music. Yeah, my Instagram, uh, my TikTok. Um, yeah, and just if anyone's got any other questions after, feel free to just hit me up in the DMs and I can give you some more advice. Thank you so much for coming, guys. Thanks. This is Crap Magazine, and we're powered by our supporters. For £5 a month, you can help support artists in your own way and get discounts, guest lists, screenings, and more. Search Support Crap Magazine. Thanks for listening.